0: I'm Yonit Levy of Channel 12 in Tel Aviv.
1: And I'm Jonathan Friedland of The Guardian in London.
0: And we are Unholy from Keshet Podcasts. Two Jews on the News. Hi, Jonathan.
1: Hello, Yonit. I'm imagining that you're talking from a room underground, you're in a shelter <laughs> or something like that. That's what I'm assuming. Well,
0: r- well right now I'm uh, in our studios, but uh, very close to a shelter. It's definitely, you know, it's been a week since last we talked, but um, it kind of feels like a year, yeah. uh, to be honest, yeah. um, and, and not a very good year. I, I don't think I, I thought I'd say this so soon, but I actually missed 2020. Um <sighs> It's, we, it's really we, been a tough week here.
1: <laughs> and and it's a tough day because we're talking very late at night. Um, it's after midnight your time, Thursday into Friday. You've been on air, I know, for hours and hours. Uh, but, I mean, sleepless nights, right? Because rockets are going off, explosions are sounding all around you.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, first of all, I think the whole country, I think, collectively has not slept for three nights. Um, hundreds, of, hundreds of rockets at all times of day. People... I guess I can say the people in central Israel feeling what people of southern Israel uh, and then the Israelis living in the vicinity of the Gaza Strip have been feeling for years and years, which means sirens in the middle of the night, directs hit, direct hits, schools are off, um, and also casualties in Israel, uh, including children, of course, in Gaza, um, the destruction and devastation uh, as a result of uh, Israeli attacks and also uh, casualties and also including children. So so really just a horrible week, and we didn't even mention uh, and we will talk about this, of course. The riots uh, in uh, cities across Israel, riots between um, Arabs and Jews, uh, in especially what we call mixed cities uh, around yes. Israel—all that can contributing to, you know, just a dismal feeling around, and everybody feeling uh, quite uh, depressed.
1: Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. It's an absolutely grim feeling, and people who are who feel themselves bound up with. Israel and with Palestine from both sides. In other words, you know, Palestinian diaspora, Jewish diaspora, Jews around the world, Muslims around the world, everyone feels involved with these things. And I say these things because it feels like they come around at at intervals. You know, we were here in 2014. We were here before then in 2009 with Operation Cast Lead. You can go further back to the Second Intifada, and there is a kind of uh, a, 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 a process with these incidents where there's an initial flare up and people argue about who exactly started it and then you are into yes uh, and whoever one which is first people will argue but you get into rockets on Israel you got airstrikes on Gaza and people watch the death toll tick up on both sides and people count the number of children and you just put your head in your hands wherever you are and you grieve for this situation which seems to recur you know, in in the, the most sort of macabre Groundhog Day again and again. But the thing that I think is different, and you mentioned it, is this element of the mixed cities. And I heard somebody saying, you know, the, this time the fire is inside the house. And yeah. that is a, um, a new and frightening development. I know it happened, you know, for a, that crucial week in October of 2000 as well. Yeah. But otherwise, you have to go quite far back into history into, it feels to me, almost, you know, the pre-state period and Hebron riots and so on. But just tell me what, what, what that's like. That, does that feel like a different order of grimness and even fear when, you know, I read tonight the synagogue in Lod has been set on fire it's, it's again? It's Um, that has
0: been set up in fire. That's right, this
1: keeps on happening, and just horrible stories of lynchings, people, attempted lynchings, people being pulled out of cars, there was video circulating of people bursting into, you know, Jews, I think, in Haifa, bursting into the apartment, the home of an Arab family. You're there, you tell me.
0: Well, you know, you mentioned that it adds a sort of another layer of, of grimness. And it does because, you know, you know that the war with, with Hamas will end. I mean, it will end in a few days, it will end in a few weeks until the next kind of skirmish. But we, you know, Jews and Arabs have to live together in this country. And and this kind of fire that has been set, that has been lit around the the different cities in Israel has is, is really been frightening it started in lod on tuesday with arab vigilantes basically burning as you said the synagogue uh, three synagogues and houses and cars and then what added onto that a day later were uh, jewish vigilantes on the other side uh, and just mobs in the street kind of fighting each other and as you said their attempted lynch uh, or in a lynch uh in in one case it was a jewish man in another case it was an arab man you kind of couldn't follow this I can tell you about the broadcast yesterday, which was six or seven hours long, and you were. It started with you us reporting about the rockets falling on Tel Aviv, and then it turned to this, and we kind of focused on that for the whole program while there were still rockets around falling around Israel. It's like you kind of find yourself, uh, you know, that like that person with all the plates in the air trying to figure out what are you actually talking about and what will this country look like on um, the day after. And again, you know, Jonathan, we were on the cusp of an historic shift in this country. And we talked about this on our podcast, about the fact that after, you know, years of, of tension around this issue, uh, it looked like a, an Arab party would be part of a coalition one way or the other. And you saw these, I don't know if we mentioned this, after Meron and the, there was overwhelmingly a Haredi story, ultra-Orthodox story. There were families, Arab families in the northern part of Israel who were bringing in the Haredi uh, uh, people into the community after this disaster. I mean, there were beautiful stories of cooperation and suddenly this blows up. And you, I guess, as humans, we have a lot of walls of denial, right? We, we want to think about everything being better than it is. And suddenly you think, wait a minute, there's so much hatred here between, again, we have to say these are the extremes, right? 90%, 95% of the Jews and 95% of the Arabs want to live a normal life. But these extremes and this violence that sort of erupted um w- was really was frightening uh
1: i mean the point about extremes though uh is that they can be extremely powerful i mean the, the mm-hmm. tail can wag the dog because i mean we, we're just on the politics of that for a moment and, and and it is small compared to the human scale but the calculation that you know, Arabs could sit. Arab parties, including the Islamist party that we've talked about so often, led by Mansour Abbas, that they could sit in a, leg- you know, as legitimate partners, or you know, on the outside or inside of an Israeli government. That logic was blown apart by this week because I think we've, we, you know, the idea was going to be that Naftali Bennett and Yeah uh, and Ya Lapid would sit together. And from what I understand, you know, Bennett has closed the door on that and said yeah. that's now out of the question because he thinks that you cannot sit as a leader of a Jewish-Israeli party with Arab political parties in this climate because people won't wear it. That's my assumption, the idea that, you know, that now a party, that a government that is sustained by Arab parties will not be accepted by Israeli public opinion when there are synagogues being burnt in Lod. Uh, uh, you know, tell well, me if that's... Uh, I mean, mean, that that's a that's safe probably- assumption
0: to make. First of all, we have to say this is really uh, um, fresh news, right? I mean, we're talking here, it's Thursday midnight. Uh, this happened about three or four hours ago that Naftali Bennett said that he won't create this, uh, cha- what we call the change government, the Bennett-Lapid government. Uh, firstly, we have to say Mansour Abbas suspended the negotiations with the, uh, with Israeli politicians, the minute that this uh, that uh, the Israeli first started to attack Gaza, it is partly what you said, right? That that, that Naftali Bennett, I suppose, thought that the, in this climate it would be a problem, but also from Mansour Abbas, it became a problem because what he his thesis was this: I am going to talk only about the problems, the civil problems, the budgets, etc., the problems of the Arab Israelis within the Green Line. I am not at all going to mention anything going on with the Palestinians or anything like that and that blew up in his face and it was it was impossible quite literally and it was impossible for him to continue that so so it 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 changed reality and it changed really quickly i mean we're talking i, I you know i started this uh, our conversation by saying a week has passed and it feels like a year everything here happens on overdrive
1: uh really why don't you because do, i think it'll be helpful because it's been so quick why don't you talk us through the events as they unfolded in other words sort of how Well, first of all there
0: was a british man and a french man called sykes picot they started this (laughs) whole mess mess in the middle east um they're to blame really where do you start um where do you and where do you want to continue from that jonathan
1: well uh, why don't we (laughs) this is a problem
0: when you try when you try to explain
1: why don't we say okay listeners were bang up to date last week with just to give us the seven day version what happened (laughs) That where we were last week, where, hour you know, version, we were thinking, well, and we yes. were, and we were not alone. We were talking about: is it going to be, you know, are we counting down the days till Netanyahu leaves office and a new government comes in? That's where we were a week ago. And yes, there was big trouble brewing in Jerusalem, and we talked about where it came from. And suddenly, we are in this. So, just talk us through yeah. how we well that so, from A to B. <laughs>
0: um, for me to be going through Y and Z, basically, but I will try and explain what happened. What what essentially happened was tensions mounting in Jerusalem around uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque. There are all kinds of different things going on there. Um, From the Palestinian uh, perspective, uh, Israelis made a few mistakes. It was the month of Ramadan. They tried to stop the Israeli police um, were in some points incompetent. They tried to stop buses of, of uh, prayers coming in. They tried, there was incidents of, of rioting and then they uh, threw some uh, tear gas into the Al-Aqsa Mosque, all kinds of things like that, that kind of uh, drew tensions. And then uh, Itamar Ben-Gvir, who's the extreme right in Israel, uh, walking through the Damascus Gate and going to Sheikh Jarrah, sort of, I hope I'm trying to make some sense. I'm sorry, I haven't slept for three nights. So maybe I'm not going through this in an orderly fashion no, like I'm wanted. Getting but tensions mounted and Hamas, I say this sadly, was smart to harness this and convince not only the people of Jerusalem that they, the, the uh, Palestinians of East Jerusalem, uh, saying you had Muhammad Def, uh, who's uh, um, from Hamas, saying for the first time in a long time, we heard him speak saying, if you continue to do this in Jerusalem, uh, if police continue to do this in Jerusalem, we are going to attack. Hamas is going to attack. And he indeed did. So that is how this whole thing. Uh, started and and that's how we wound up uh, where we were. Where
1: yeah, we are and now. so there's rocket attacks from Hamas. Israel immediately responds with airstrikes, and we get into that, and then it explodes onto the streets of those mixed cities in Israel, and that's yes, where we that are. Also,
0: again, we have to say again that the Al Aqsa Mosque is something of an of uh, a, a magnet that pulls indeed also the Arab Israelis uh, into that into the fray.
1: I mean, let's just do it. Let's go go through the vantage point of the different players in this and, and how they see it, because I think that will be useful. Uh, I mean, we can, both of us, just based on reporting that we've been doing, I know both of us have been speaking to analysts of this situation. I was on the phone for a long time today to a very long time sort of Palestinian analyst and and sometime negotiator who was just, you know, v- fascinating on what's going on the calculus on their side that hamas you can see the opportunity they thought here which is we will now take a stance as the custodians the defenders of the holy sites in jerusalem we can steal a march on mahmoud abbas sitting there in uh, ramallah you know, he's only just spoken really in the last few minutes. Finally, said something he, he had not said anything, and so Hamas can step forward as we are the defenders of the Palestinian people and indeed the Muslim nation defending uh, the third holiest site in Islam. You can see what was in it for them to do that. They make Mahmoud Abbas look really bad you know, inert and inactive. Especially especially after after he he cancelled the elections. elections. There we are, we said at the same time. So you can see the calculation from their point of view. It's fascinating to me that apparently the biggest minds in Israeli intelligence did not see this coming. Their calculation was that Hamas would not want to fight, deterrence was working. Is this a big intelligence failure from the Israelis in terms of reading Hamas's mood?
0: Well, you know, I as someone who's listened to top Israeli uh, brass for the couple of last couple of months giving background conversations to uh, journalists and and you always heard that kind of assumption that Yihsin Wal uh, decided from Hamas, decided to basically build the infrastructure in Gaza, help the people of Gaza, he dis- not to of course give up the uh, ideology of Hamas, which is to uh, um, annihilate Israel. But for now, he prefers that. He prefers that quiet uh, and not the uh, road to terror. So I don't know what happened there in the last couple of days. And is it an argument, is an internal argument within Hamas? Uh, I think nobody really knows right now um to 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 turn back to this idea was it because of al-Aqsa was it seizing an opportunity was it something they planned and the israeli intelligence missed it it's a question that i don't know how to answer but i'm sure that we will know the answer to
1: yeah and then from the israeli side this is the question the the sort of dark question that seizes me which is we were talking about the kind of build up that was going on last week and it was multiple things that curious decision of the police to close off that area in front of damascus gate mm-hmm. But the whole business of Sheikh Jarrah, the, this area that, you know, of historic homes that are in East Jerusalem where a Jew, there are Jewish settlers who claim a kind of historic title to those properties going back before 1948 and say, therefore, if these belongs to us. They want the court to say these homes belong to us and the Palestinians be evicted. And just as the impression I get from the outside is there all these, you know, it's Ramadan, it's Jerusalem Day, all these, this tinder was piling up, mm-hmm. and the Prime Minister Netanyahu does not think, oh, this is this is dangerous. I better make sure there are no sparks and no lit matches anywhere near this. He doesn't do that. He allowed it to get more and more tense. And here we are now where the opportunity for a new government is is, is apparently falling apart. The dark, cynical question I ask mm-hmm. to myself is, was there a calculation from Netanyahu's point of view, which was, you know, the one thing that could scupper a non-BB government is a massive security crisis. And if there is, a, if the country's at war, the country's going to cling to me. Am I too cynical for that question to pop into my head?
0: Um, it's It's definite that... Netanyahu's uh, opponents, his detractors in this country, would are, are asking that question, right? Is it is it incompetence? Is it police incompetence on that level that we mentioned? Or is it a decision from above to throw in more and more matches into this uh, uh, arena, into this fire? Um, so, so a lot of people, again, on the anti-BB camp are saying, I, I don't know how much they're saying that he kind of really deliberately lit the fire, but that he didn't do everything he could to sort of uh, turn it off because it's not, as we say, it's not necessarily bad for him, this chaos. I, I think that the, the fact that people actually ask this question is the problem in the in the sense that it seems like there's many people in this country who don't trust the leader to the extent that they would think that he would instigate this whole thing. So So that is something that I think is is, is an issue to, to be discussed. But again, we need to remember two things about Netanyahu. A, he doesn't like uh, to start wars. He really tried to, avert, to, to sort of avoid doing that for many years in many cases. And also in the kind of really 24 hours that led to the, big uh, uh Hamas sending the the, the Hamas sending the rockets to Jerusalem he was actually trying to de-escalate as fast as he could taking off the barricades of Damascus gate doing other things um to to kind of de-escalate that that wasn't enough. So I, I don't know if I answered your question, Jonathan. Um, no, I no, did it, I did pretend to. Uh, no, um, I, think, but, I, I
1: think you're really right. It says something because it wasn't just me who had that question. Like yep. you say, this question was surfacing in Israel, and in, you know, and it says something terrible about a national leader that people would even ask the question. So I agree. No, I think I was going to get onto was a bit about the outside world and particularly the United States because you know, that they are normally the big player in the in the Middle East conflict. And that's who you would expect to come into things. And Joe Biden has done not that much. I mean, he had a call with Bibi, I think on Wednesday, and he came out after saying, we want this to come to an end as soon as we can. But obviously, Israelis have a right to defend themselves. There was some backlash because You know, he didn't say Palestinians have a right to defend themselves. He just made that point. But people think, you know, come on, we need the American administration to come in and start talking to Egypt, and Egypt can lean on Hamas, and uh, Biden and Washington can lean on Israel, and your your broker a ceasefire. And uh, just by as luck would have it, I was uh, in conversation this week with Dennis Ross, who listeners will know, long time, really long time, three-decade-long peace negotiator uh, for the United States on the Israel-Palestine conflict. And he's the improbable star of a new, and I have to say extraordinarily riveting documentary film called The Human Factor, which is made by Dror Morair, the man who made The Gatekeepers, uh, uh, another incredibly good film. And it's all about the American peace team, um, you know, people we've mentioned on the podcast before, Dennis Ross, Martin Indyk, all those people. Anyway, I was talking to Dennis Ross. And so my question to him was, you know, we get the impression that Joe Biden's got a million and one things he would rather do than this. You know, he wants to deal with COVID and reboot the economy and maybe deal with China and <laughs> Russia and get out of Afghanistan. He needs this uh, like a hole in the head. Um, so, but, you know, what will he do? And he just said something really interesting. He said, my advice is to, uh, presidents is you may want to leave the Middle East, but the Middle East won't leave you. It will always come back to you and and grab and sort of pull you in. And uh, it's happened quicker than you'd think. You know, barely a hundred. You know, it's just over a hundred days, and essentially the region is saying to Joe Biden, come back in.
0: You know, I'm going to be blunt and Israeli about this for a minute. Uh, This administration didn't want anything to do with Israel and the Palestinians. Let's be honest. I mean, you you heard Tony Blinken in his hearings in the Senate saying, basically, we know this is not, you know, a Palestinian state. It's not going to happen now. This is essentially what he was saying. And they wanted to deal with Iran. So they knew they had to talk to Israel about that. But they didn't want to deal with this issue. And even when you look at, you know, think back to when there were last negotiations between Israel and the Palestinians. This is nine years ago. Okay, these many people have already left uh, the the sort of uh, echelon, the State Department, the the a lot of the people who are relevant are not there. Add upon that the fact there's no ambassador here, there's no U.S. ambassador in Israel, and you get a whole sort of situation which is it's harder to kind of pull back uh, the situation uh, we're in.
1: Yeah, now. I mean, so this is the thing. I think now the the that position of sort of hands-off, we would we don't want to be there, uh, we'd rather not be here, uh, that the unsustainability of that position has been exposed now. I think the Americans are gonna to have to do, they're gonna to have to have an ambassador, they're gonna to have to start staffing up, they're gonna to have to do things for this. And it will be really fascinating to, to watch whether they can just do a little bit. Can they put their toe in this pond or are they gonna get pulled in and submerged in it because uh the that is it is a bit of a sort of vortex that does Mm -hmm. suck people in and biden has been around a long time and he's seen you know previous predecessors and previous secretaries of state and others just get completely mired in this so he doesn't want that but i think they're going to have to do that um in order to um uh, just to see if they can restore calm, as it were, uh, to broker some ceasefire. The Egypt Egyptians, the Qataris, they're big players. They have a, they have, you know, they have juice with Hamas, uh, and somehow broker this. The bigger question, after that, to my mind, and I'm sort of, you know, in a way, getting ahead of myself, but I can't help but wonder. Let's say, you know, and it can it cannot come at a moment too soon, but let's say there is the restoration of quiet and calm. Do, you know, policymakers and everyone then just go back to the status quo ante? Is that what everyone wants? We go back to how we were between 2014 and a week ago, mm-hmm. back to normal. And my worry, and this goes a little bit to a conversation you and I had a very spirited conversation a few weeks back, I don't think you can go back to do you, normal. When you say
0: spirited, do you mean I won? Spirited, I just is,
1: spir- sure. spirited is me being very British. About it. <laughs> it was spirited. Um, spirited. You can't go back to normal because normal is what got us here. And mm-hmm. that's the... Uh, worry I would have, I think Israelis particularly, but I think it. fascinating, my conversation with Palestinians today was they think the same is true on their side in different ways, definitely true of the rest of the international community. Everyone kind of, ne- the status quo works for a lot of people. It doesn't work for the, the you know, it works for the Palestinian leadership and Ramallah who actually keep their positions and their power and their authority as long as everything's just ticking over. It works for the UN and the US because then they can do other things, the EU. It works for, and this is the harder Thing, I think it works for Israel and it works for Israelis. The, when they can just say the situation is on hold, we can go to the beach, we can have a vaccine rollout, we can have tech startups, a brilliant economy, and it's all great. The people it doesn't work for are Gazans who are, you know, besieged, and it doesn't work for regular Palestinians who are living for decades and decade and decade after occupation. But for everyone else. Make it quiet, make it go away, and we can go back and we can have another seven years like the seven years we had before. To me, the big challenge is can you make this the wake up call that says, No, we cannot go back to before? We have to deal with the inherent underlying conflict that means violence erupts periodically every five years, every seven years. We have to deal with the causes of that.
0: Well, things have, of course, become more complicated uh, because Hamas. Took over Gaza. Now, Israel made a strategic decision, and I think that this is something to put the finger on. Benjamin Netanyahu, as Israel's prime minister, made a decision, which is I don't want to deal with the uh, Palestinian Authority. Essentially, they have the autonomy. I want to deal with Hamas in the way that I will um, let them have Qatari money. I will try as best as I can to control the fact that that money isn't going into weapons and development of weapons, but to the betterment of the people of Gaza. Israel isn't entirely successful in that, obviously. But that is what we will do, and that we we, we will buy quiet, quote unquote. Now, when you talk about solving the situation, uh, which uh, should be resolved, what do you do with the fact that Gaza, that Israel essentially left Gaza, right? It is besieged as you describe it, also because of Egyptian decisions. But Israel left Gaza. And, and there's a terror organization that is holding the people of Gaza hostage. <laughs> and what do you do with that? And shooting to Israel, right? Now, what do you do with that? I, look, I've seen, and believe me, I know that every time that this happens, there is a lot of uh, uh, anti-Israel uh, uh, rhetoric around the world. I see this. And and you ask yourself, wait a minute, you, you know where you know where a lot of the Hamas uh, officials are hiding, right? They're hiding under Shifa hospital in Gaza. Israel's not bombing the hospital because Israel doesn't do that. You see the pictures of the uh, buildings toppling, that Israel's toppling buildings. The buildings are empty because Israel's giving a notification for people to leave the building. They just want to ruin Hamas offices. Now, this situation is incredibly complex because, again, what do you do I'm 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 asking I don't know if this is a rhetorical question but what do you do with the fact that there's a terrorist organization that doesn't actually want to speak with you that rules that rules Gaza and it makes things much more complicated we had a spirited argument Jonathan about uh, the situation the 54 years of uh, Israel and Palestinians being in this situation, but Gaza complicates things, and I don't know. I assent, I really don't know what the way to solve it is.
1: No, I know. Look, solve is definitely as well. It's good. It, solve is definitely not the right word to for, for me to have used, really, because uh, you know, and de- again, Dennis Ross was very good on that. You know, that is that we're not in that mode. Managing would be nice. You know, Um that, solve, again, solving just, is not good. But let me just say one thing about the thing is I agree about how difficult Gaza is. But one thing about this current thing uh, that's erupted this week, is just at the internal level. Let's just start with that. The uh, the Arabs of Lod, the Arabs of Haifa, the Arabs of Tiberias, those mixed cities. You know, do, do, do Israelis think that you can pass something like the nation state law, which says, you know, we, national rights are for us, Jews, you Arabs, you can be citizens here, but you won't have the same level of rights as we're gonna have do they think you can keep saying that and the people will just shrug and go okay that's fine we will we'll, we'll swallow that indefinitely can you keep doing that so just start with that in a way the 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 requirement for uh, equality in a deep way between all the citizens of the country even before you get to occupation even before you get to the west bank let alone gaza that I, what i'm saying is i hope that if anything comes out of this horror that we're seeing, it will be a feeling that we don't just go back to how we were seven days ago, but think we've got to just at least address why it was that people who are citizens of this country nevertheless felt, you know, so pent up that they uh, are on the streets uh, in that way. Look, I know they're not typical, just as the, you know, the rightists, the far rightists on the march are also not typical of, you know, Jewish Israelis. Of course not, but there are, there's problems there to deal with. And I just, my concern is let's get this over with, but when it is when it is over with, I don't think everyone can just go back to the beach. They've got to think about why this keeps happening in this country, which doesn't happen in other countries around the world.
0: I should not have sent you those pictures from the beach last week. I get that. That's,
1: it's punished. <laughs> I get, I get punishment that was a mistake. That.
0: You thought I was having more fun than you, and now you're upset. No, the point is, uh, I was on that Friday having more fun than you. I just wanted to make yeah, that a you um will. Look, you you point to something that I think is incredibly important and I think that uh, uh Arab Israelis have suffered uh from discrimination uh the president of this country country van Rivlin has talked about it many other people have talked about it I think there have been also attempts to uh to to try and solve that I I think that there is still a a, a gap between the fact that uh, there are issues like the nation state law, which, again, there's some politicians who, who promise to change that, and and mobs, uh, you know, rampaging houses and burning cars. Nothing can be an excuse for that. And I'm sure we, we agree on that. And I think that what is important here, and I think, you know, the root of this, there is a problem of um, – for example, a lot of uh, illegal weapons in in uh, Arab Israelis among Arab Israelis. They have been begging the administration in this country to deal with this because there are many many innocent people who are killed in Arab cities in Israel. 113 last year, and they have been telling people you don't care about this because it isn't targeting you, you Jewish Israelis. And the minute it will be, you'll have to deal with this. So of course there are problems that we are going to have to deal with, and there's serious serious issues, um, and. I and I hope they will be they will be addressed.
1: Well, whatever happens, we know it's not going to be addressed, let alone resolved, by the panacea. That in a way, we were sort of talking about in previous weeks, which was the notion of Arab participation in an Israeli government with the Joint List or Mansour Abbas and his Islamist party somehow going in there to make Lapid and Bennett rotating prime ministers. That looked like it was going to be on the cards. Yeah. From what we've heard and from what's happening, it seems like that's not really going to happen. No.
0: no, Lapid still has the mandate for 20 days, um, but uh, uh, Naftali Bennett, as we said, uh, said tonight that he is not, that is not an option for him anymore, that kind of government. Um, we talked about what could have been his motives, again, all in the shadow of what has been going on in Israel for the past uh, week. Um, and, uh, and what... What we see as two options now is either, again, fifth elections uh, or, or Netanyahu somehow managing to form a government. Whatever he does, whatever Netanyahu does, the interesting thing, and maybe it's some sort of paradox here, but he still will need... Mansour um, Abbas's uh, vote or support for many of the steps he 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 wants to do. So you will still see a sort of uh, involvement, but it proves uh, one axiom that has always been true in Israeli politics. Uh, never, ever rule Benjamin Netanyahu out, even when you think he is very close to being out.
1: Yep. And I'm afraid, uh, we you know, we did say that both of us on this podcast over and over again, you know, we were talking about rabbits out of hat and was he out of bunnies and all that. And the thing is, you just cannot count him out whether, you know, whether you take the most cynical reading of these recent events or not, one way or another, it it is never over. I think I said, until he was physically out of that chair, (laughs) I would not believe he would not be prime minister. Um, Bennett himself, of course, uh, was the man who was in the frame to be prime minister. And he was asked about his ambitions Uh, just this very week, we can hear a bit of that.
2: I'm not gonna discuss uh, domestic politics on this uh, interview. What I will say is any government uh, I participate in or lead, uh, under no circumstances will I allow myself to have my hands tied uh, while defending my people. So we and I will always do the right thing for the good of uh, the state of Israel and its citizens, uh, regardless of the political uh, uh, machine.
0: So you are confident you will be the next prime minister of Israel uh, to be sworn in in just a few weeks' time?
2: <laughs> no, I, I'm not confident. It's a very uh, complicated and, uh, you know, difficult situation. Uh, and certainly, mm. uh, it's, it's pretty messy. Israeli politics are, are pretty messy, unfortunately. Um, but we're doing our best to, to get the country out of this muddle. Uh, I, I don't want to... Uh, get to fifth elections within two and a half years—that's certainly not what Israel is about. I grew up in the high-tech arena in the military. We we worked very orderly, and, and this is uh, quite a mess. I, I have to admit.
0: That was uh, Bennett telling uh, Becky Anderson on CNN that he's still his plans and he's contemplating uh, uh, still to be prime minister. That was two days ago. Uh, things actually move very fast in Israeli politics, as we noticed.
1: I wonder if there was a little bit of reluctance in him, you know, always about this prime minister thing. I somehow think in the sort of Shakespeare play, he didn't quite have the sort of steel in the spine to really grab the crown and sort of was reaching, not quite for the first excuse, but here is the very first obstacle he faced in terms of becoming prime minister. And straight away, he says, okay, someone else. I just wonder if it goes to a sort of reluctance in Naftali Bennett, but who knows? Uh, events have uh, taken uh, their own course. We will hand out chutzpah and mensch awards as always next week. For now though, uh, please do recommend us pass this on. uh, Give us those wonderful, and you've been doing that, some very, very warm reviews. uh, And of course, share, tweet, put us on Instagram, and all other forms of uh, recommendation. Who do we need to thank, Yonit?
0: Oh, I will thank man. By the way, it was Mother's Day in the United States this week. Not I know you guys do it sometime in, what is it, March? Yes, we, we don't are. do it at all. By the way, Israelis don't do it at all. Mother's Day has been canceled and turned into Family Day, which oh, is really? very annoying. So, uh, <laughs> so happy Mother's Day. Uh, and uh, and we will say thank you to our executive producer, uh, Lior Friedman, to Rom Atik, head of podcasts, and to Irad Escher for original music. And let's uh, hope for better news and a better mood uh, next week, Jonathan.
1: Yeah, that is my hope too. See you then, Yonid.
0: See you.